0: This evening we're continuing our overview of the Old Testament book titled Job. With this as the focus, if you would, let's open our Bibles now to Job chapter 4. And as you make your way to the fourth chapter of Job, I want to take a moment to put our text back into its context. It'll first help you to remember that the book of Job, well, it's a historic record of the trials and the troubles and the tribulations of this ancient individual named Job. And as we've already learned, Job was a man who loved the Lord. And not only that, but, but he was also an upright man who feared God and shunned evil. This is not to say that he was a sinless man, but he was certainly applying uh, and, and engaging in a walk with the Lord that would lead him to offer the proper sacrifices For the sins that he was guilty of. And so he was doing his best to live a life that was pleasing to the Lord. But then came the day when he found himself suffering from the spiritual attacks of Satan. And as a result, Job soon found himself suffering the sorrow of familial and financial trials, which were then followed by boils that caused physical affliction in his body. And, and then, you know, it was shortly thereafter when his wife then added insult to injury by just encouraging him to just curse God and die. But rather than following her advice, Job responded to her by declaring, shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? In other words, Job was a man who understood that you take the good You take the bad, you take them both, and there you have the facts of life. The facts of life. All right. Seriously, though, you know, rather than questioning the goodness of God, Job maintained the integrity of his faith by trusting in the sovereign will of God. And. Shortly thereafter, you know, Job was then uh, you know visited by three friends who heard about his hardships, and you know they wanted to go and 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 counsel him and 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 console him, and and this uh, list of friends, well, it included Eliphaz the the Temanite, uh, the, then there was Bildad the Shuhite, and then Zophar the Naamathite, and, and according to the author of this book, you know, these guys had come to mourn with him, and not only that. But they also wanted to comfort him during this time of great distress. And, you know, after arriving, they sat with him in silence for seven days and seven nights. And that is until Job broke the silence with several sorrow-filled statements. It was actually in our study last week when we considered the complaints of Job. And while it's true that he refrained himself from impugning God with wrongdoing... It's also true that he didn't really hold much back as he vented his fleshly feelings, which were actually failing to correspond with reality. And it's for this reason that Job's friend Eliphaz decided to challenge his perspective by presenting another point of view, which uh, we'll also discover was a bit problematic. Well, uh, with this as the focus, it's important for us to remember that the book of Job, it contains a conversation that includes questionable counsel that fails to line up with the fullness of biblical truth. And as a result, many have actually been confused by the comments that we find here in this book. And with that being the case, it's important for us to remember that this is not a didactic book designed to define doctrine. This is not a didactic book designed to define doctrine. If you want to start defining doctrine, that's what the epistles are for. This is a wisdom book which provides us with a real-life conversation that, as it unfolds, includes consultations that are, at many times, biblically incorrect. And so they're accurately recorded, but they're biblically incorrect, and thankfully for us, we now have the full counsel of God's Word, which enables us to test every teaching, including the conversation that we find here in the book of Job. With this as the goal, we're going to use the Bible to examine the counsel of Job's friend Eliphaz, and, and we're going to continue to use the Bible to, to examine the rest of the counsel of his other friends. And as we do this, it's my prayer that this will help us all to learn how to use the Bible to test the counsel of those who are quick to tell us how we ought to respond uh, to the trials and the troubles that we're facing. Because, you know, it's not going to be long before we find ourselves in the middle of a hardship. And before you know it, there's going to be well-meaning brothers and sisters in Christ telling us how we ought to respond. And and we need to know how to just turn to the Scriptures and test those teachings and make sure that what we're hearing is actually true. And so with this as the goal, let's turn our attention now to the book of Job. And if you would look with me here at Job chapter 4, We'll begin reading there at verse 1, because here we read, Then Eliphaz, the Temanite, he answered and said, If one attempts a word with you, will you become weary? But who can withhold himself from speaking? Now, here in the beginning of this chapter, we're reintroduced to Job's friend Eliphaz. And as we consider the early date of this book, it's possible that this is the same Eliphaz that's mentioned in Genesis chapter 36. You see, it's in Genesis 36 where we learn that Eliphaz was the firstborn son of Esau. Not only that, but the firstborn son of Eliphaz was Teman. And seeing how this Eliphaz was a Temanite, uh, then it's possible that uh, Eliphaz was already an elderly man living in the city of his first son, Teman. And so he probably planted this son, Temanite, as he attempted to help everybody to understand that there is no I in Temanite. But, uh, oh wait, no, yeah, there is one, sorry, am not good at spelling. But regardless of whether this was Esau's son or not, what we do know is, is that Eliphaz mentioned here in our text tonight, he was the first of Job's three friends to speak up. He was the first one to start speaking as soon as Job was done with his venting and crying. That's when you know Eliphaz decided that he's going to you know bring forth you know, his ideas here. And while it's possible that Eliphaz was a man of authority and influence over the rest of these men... Well, it's also possible that he was just nothing more than a loudmouth know-it-all that loved to insert his opinion whenever he could. So maybe he was speaking with authority. Maybe he was just a know-it-all. We don't know for certain. But please trust me when I tell you that people who are quick to present their point of view, uh, they don't always know what they're talking about. You know, there's many people who are quick to speak with authority, and yet they really have no authority on the subject. And those who can't wait to interject their opinions, well, uh, they might be right But they might be wrong. And and oftentimes, uh, they're presenting, uh, you know, little more than just carnal counsel. And with that being the case, we would all do well to remember what James wrote in James chapter 1. It's verses 19 and 20, where James writes this. He says, so then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Listen, if you're like Eliphaz and you love to be the first one to insert your point of view, I encourage you to remember that wise counsel is typically given by those who actually took more time listening uh, than they did get it gearing up for what they were going to say. You know, some people, they don't listen to you at all. You can just see it in their eyes that they're just, they're waiting for a, for you to take a breath so they can just insert their point of view. And, and listen, if this is what you're prone to doing, then you're not really listening, you're not really having a conversation because you're not really listening to what the other person is saying. So we have to be swift to hear and then slow to speak as we prayerfully consider what we might say. We must realize that the confident counselor who is quick to speak, well, sometimes, you know, they're completely wrong about their advice because they didn't really take the time to Listen. In other words, they, they heard what was said, maybe, but they didn't really hear it. With that being the case, we'd all do well to examine the advice of our counselors, especially those who are swift to speak. And, 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 you know, we ought to ask those who are quick to tell us what they think to back it up with the word of God. You know, if somebody comes to you and says, hey, I see you're going through something here. I just want to tell you, this is what I think the, that the Lord is saying. Just say, hey, thanks for that. I appreciate your counsel. Can you show me where it says that in the Bible? Can you show me where it says that in the Bible? I want to know where does the the Bible say that? Because the Bible provides us with that objective truth that comes from the mind of God. And so the Bible is the ultimate authority. And where counselors line up with the word of God, then they're right. And where counselors don't line up with the word of God, well, they're wrong. Uh, It's also important to understand that they can have the right application of uh, a, a text but misapply the verse because it doesn't really apply to the situation at hand. And that's kind of what we see happening here in our text tonight. And, and with this as the focus, I want to consider the counsel of Eliphaz that's found here in Job chapter 4. If you would look with me there, we'll pick up at verse 3. Here, Eliphaz declares, Surely you have instructed many, and you have strengthened weak hands. Your words have upheld him who was stumbling, and you have strengthened the feeble knees. That really hurts. Right there, that, that one just, that, that got me there. But now it comes upon you and you are weary. It touches you and you are troubled. Here in these verses we find Eliphaz, he's challenging Job to take his own medicine. That's what he's effectively saying here. He's saying, hey, you've given out medicine, time to take your own medicine, right? Job himself was a man who had counseled others to trust in the Lord during their times of trials and turmoil, I have no doubt that Job had come alongside many people throughout his ages and, and, and just spoke the word of God or spoke the truth of God uh, into the lives of those who were suffering and struggling. And yet, as soon as he found himself suffering with great sorrow here, he cried out for the day of his conception to be removed from the annals of history. And so, uh, you know, Eliphaz comes along and says, hey, take your own medicine, and I think he's right about that. You know, if we're, if we're the person who's quick to counsel and then all of a sudden we're going through the hardship and we're not really abiding by the counsel that we've given, given to so many others, ah, there's something wrong with that. Knowing that Job was a man who had instructed others with wise counsel in the days of their distress, Eliphaz was respectfully encouraging him to apply the same wise counsel to his own life. And I, and I think that's good advice for anyone who is, has instructed others with biblical counsel. Christian, listen, those who are ready to offer biblical counsel to others should also then be ready to apply the same counsel to their own lives when the time comes for that. Otherwise, well, we're only demonstrating to others that we really don't believe the biblical instructions that we've presented to others. Well, this was precisely the point that Eliphaz is making here in our text tonight. And and as a matter of fact, if you would look with me here at Job chapter 4, I'm going to focus your attention at verse 6 because here he challenges Job by asking Is not your reverence your confidence, and the integrity of your ways your hope? In other words, Eliphaz here was asking, doesn't your reverent relationship with God give you confidence in this time of trouble? And if not, why not? He's also asking, doesn't your life of faithful integrity fill your heart with hope during these distressful days? And as we consider these questions, you know, it's possible that Eliphaz here, he's assuming the best about Job, that's what we would hope. You know, If so, if, if, he, if he's believing the best about Job, then he was encouraging Job to remember that he could actually have a heart filled with hope in these distressing times and, and by simply remembering that his confidence was found in the God who is always good. And, and so if he's believing the best about Job, he's, he's basically saying, look, you've placed your faith in, in this good God up until this point in time. Now be, be confident in the God you've trusted in though times are tough. That would be the best way to look at these these questions. And, and listen, this is this is good biblical counsel. If this is what Eliphaz was intending, the same basic counsel is presented by Paul in Romans chapter eight, where he assures his audience that we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. It's another way of saying, you know, hey, let your let your confidence be in your reverence and your hope and, and, and integrity in and, and, and your faith in God. Christian, listen, if your confidence is in Christ and if your hope is in heaven, then you can be certain that God is going to work all things together for the good of those who love him. And so no, ma- no matter what the issue is, no matter the difficulty, uh, no matter the trial or the trouble, regardless of the problems that you're facing tonight, those who love the Lord should simply trust that he's going to work all of it out for our good, without debate, this is uh, uh, in, uh, this counsel is it's in, in, incredibly encouraging, and especially for those who are wondering why God's allowing them to suffer. If you're wondering why God is allowing you to suffer tonight, then please trust the Lord that He has a, a, a good reason, and a reason that we might not even understand this side of heaven. But we can trust and be confident in the Lord that He is good and he will work all things out for our good providing that we truly love him with this uh, you know while this sort of counsel uh, is something that we ought to offer to those who are suffering uh, this is the sort of counsel that we ought to share with those who are struggling Well, it's sad to say that there are those like Eliphaz who, well, they don't offer this kind of counsel uh, out of the goodness of their heart or because they really believe the best about the person they're counseling. And in order to explain what I mean, let's continue to consider another perspective of the questions that Eliphaz presented there in verse 6. Notice again, verse 6, he says, Is not your reverence your confidence and the integrity of your ways your hope? As we take another look at this verse, it's possible here that Eliphaz believed the best about Job, but it's also possible that he was encouraging him by helping him to remember that his hope was found in a heavenly God who is always good, and and so then why are you upset? Is it because you haven't been called according to his purpose? Is it possible here that Eliphaz was assuming the worst about Job in asking these questions? And if so, then verse six might be more of an accusation, which might be better read in this way. If you are really confident in your reverence before the Lord, then why is God so mad at you? If you're really confident that you've had this reverent relationship with the Lord, why is God punishing you now? If you truly have the hope that comes from your integrity, why is God punishing you? Is it not because you're a big sinner and God is, you know, giving you the the just desserts here. As we consider these two interpretive options, it seems to me that Eliphaz was actually asking these questions in the accusatory way and not in the way that he was believing the best about Job. Now, if you want to know why I'm leaning towards the accusatory version of these questions, then let's consider the context, which actually helps us to see that Eliphaz, he actually believed that Job was being punished by the Lord. And, and, and Eliphaz truly believed that Job was being punished for failing to maintain a reverent relationship with God. To, to make my case, let's take a closer look at the context, which is found here in Job chapter 4. I want to back up and begin reading again at verse 6. Here again, Eliphaz asks, Is not your reverence your confidence, and the integrity of your ways your hope? Remember now, whoever perished being innocent? Or where were the upright ever cut off? even as I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. Wow, here in these verses we find Eliphaz, he's now accusing Job of plowing iniquity rather than maintaining his integrity. And not only that, but he also insists that Job was now reaping the rotten fruit of the seeds that he had sown. He says, hey, you know, the people who plow iniquity and sow trouble end up reaping the same sort of trouble. And in light of this context, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that Eliphaz was actually questioning the reverent relationship that Job claimed to have with God. Now, now, listen. I want to remind you that uh, you know, Job wasn't this this wicked sinner. But but if he was, if it's true that Job was sowing seeds of iniquity. Well, then it's also true that he may have, in fact, been suffering the sorrow of his sinful decisions. You see, this is precisely the point that Paul was making in in Galatians chapter 6. It's in verses 7 and 8 where Paul declares, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. Christian, listen, those who sow sinful seeds into the soil of their lives, well, those seeds will grow, and they will produce fruit, and it's going to be rotten fruit. And while Eliphaz was right to say that those who plow iniquity and sow trouble will reap the same, that is correct. Biblically speaking, what he was failing to realize was that this good counsel was being applied to the wrong person. This is good biblical counsel that's being applied to someone who wasn't sowing uh, seeds of iniquity. You see, Job really did have a reverent relationship with God. Remember, it's back in Job chapter two where we, where the Lord confirmed the integrity of Job's faith by describing him as a blameless and upright man who reveres God and shuns evil. Would it be to God that that the Lord would have the same opinion of all of us here tonight? that we are blameless and upright, revering God and shunning evil. But that was God's point of view of Job. That being the case, Eliphaz was wrong when he accused Job of plowing iniquity and sowing seeds of trouble. And if he was wrong about that, then he's also wrong about the trouble that Job was experiencing. This was not the fruit of his plowing and sowing. And not only that, but listen, he was also wrong when he jumped to the conclusion that God was punishing him for these sins. And with this in mind, let's pick up our study of Job chapter 4, beginning at verse 9. Here Eliphaz declares, by the blast of God they perish, and by the breath of his anger they are consumed. The roaring of the lion, the voice of the fierce lion, and the teeth of the young lions are broken. The old lion perishes for lack of prey, and the cubs of the lioness are scattered. And here in these verses, we find Eliphaz, he's describing the way that, you know, he was imagining God being the one punishing Job. And the first illustration that he introduces here, it includes the allegory of God's anger being like a breath that is blasted out with hot air. And so, you know, Eliphaz is like, you know, God's punishing you with the breath of his mouth and it's blasting your life. And I have no doubt that this was very painful to hear, especially as we remember that Satan actually created that windstorm that caused Job's children to be crushed under the weight of the walls that fell on them. This was clearly an attack on the reality of what Job was suffering. And after comparing that windstorm to the breath of an angry God who wanted to punish Job, Eliphaz then goes on to illustrate his point by comparing Job's family to a pride of lions that are reduced into a state of starvation. Talking about the roaring lion and the voice of the fierce lion, you know, and and yet these are old lions. There's an old lion and an old lioness that has kids that are on the hunt now, but they can't because their teeth have been busted out. And so the young lions can't provide prey for the older lions, and so they all starve. This is the illustration that Eliphaz is using as he compares Job's children to the young lions with no teeth uh, and therefore unable to, to kill and catch the prey uh, that's needed for the, to, for the rest of the pride. Or in other words, uh, you know, Eliphaz is basically saying God's left you with no children in your old age and you guys are going to starve to death. Thanks, Eliphaz. What a friend. Now again, if Job was actually receiving the punishment of the Lord, if Job was actually on the receiving end of God's wrath then this illustration might make sense. However, having read chapters one and two, in both chapters, Job is called blameless and upright and shunning evil and and living for the Lord. And, and, And we know then that he was not receiving God's punishment, but rather he was being spiritually attacked by Satan. And not only that, but we also know that Satan wanted to attack Job because he was a faithful man was living a life that was pleasing to the lord and with that being the case listen the assumption of eliphaz was completely wrong and so too are people today when they when they think that well because something bad is happening in your life there must be sin in your life and that assumption is made oftentimes in the you know hyper charismatic name it and claim it style churches where if you're not being you know, blessed with money and health and wealth and all this kind of stuff, that there, there must be something wrong in your life. There must be secret sin in your life. And that's just not the case. That's not always true. Is it possible that someone might be sick because they're sinning in, in certain ways? Yeah, that's possible. Is it possible that God punishes somebody you know, uh, in these sorts of ways if they're living in sin? That's possible as well. But at the same time, we also see a case here where there are times where where faithful believers are under spiritual attack because they're doing the right things. And that's what Eliphaz was misunderstanding here as he accused Job uh, of living in sin and therefore receiving the punishment of God. What's even worse is that Eliphaz was actually attributing his counsel to to a spiritual being who came and whispered in his ear. As a matter of fact, if you would look with me again here at Job chapter 4, I want to pick up our study beginning at verse 12, because here he declares, Now a word was secretly brought to me, and my ear received a whisper of it. In disquieting thoughts from the visions of the night, when deep sleep falls on men, fear came upon me, and trembling, which made all my bones shake. Then a spirit passed before my face, the hair on my body stood up, it stood still, but I could not discern its appearance. I want to stop right there. I want to consider what Eliphaz was saying here, because according to his experience, well, Eliphaz found himself face-to-face with some sort of apparition in the middle of the night, and this may have been a vision. It was in these not in these hours when men are asleep. It might have been a dream, but but it seems to me that this was some sort of spiritual being who came to him, in the middle of the night, and if you're wondering, was this a good angel sent by God, or was this an evil messenger sent by Satan? Well, with this question in mind, we should notice again there in verse 12, there Eliphaz informs us that a word was secretly brought to me, and my ear received a whisper of it. Now, that word "secretly" was translated from a Hebrew word which speaks of something that's done by stealth, and and, and the word is at times used of those who. Uh, the thief who who comes and steals something in the middle of the night. And as we consider the way that this message was then presented in this stealthy, secretive sort of way, it seems to me that this spirit was up to no good. We know that the Lord Jesus doesn't operate in secrets in this way. Uh, And and we know that God isn't you know uh, the tale-bearer telling secrets about people in the middle of the night. I, I like the way that Henry Morris put it when he declared this, He says, there's little doubt that its original source was Satan himself in his efforts to discredit and destroy Job. The spirit who instructed Eliphaz was not sent from God, as he may have thought, but was one of those angelic servants who had been charged with folly when they followed Lucifer in his primeval rebellion. Uh, that's right, this was this was an evil spirit who was attempting to hurt the faithful servant of the Lord by turning his friends against him in this time of need. And to further prove my point, uh, we should continue to consider Eliphaz's testimony here about this spiritual visitor who whispered secrets about the so-called sins of Job. And with this as the focus, let's pick up our study beginning in the middle of verse 16. Uh, here Eliphaz goes on to declare, "...a form was before my eyes, there was silence, then I heard a voice saying..." Can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can a man be more pure than his maker? If he puts no trust in his servants, if he charges his angels with error, how much more those who dwell in houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, who are crushed before a moth. They are broken in pieces from morning till evening. They perish forever with no one regarding. Does not their own excellence go away? They die even without wisdom. Now, as we consider this secret that this spirit whispered into the ear of Eliphaz, uh, we must not fail to notice that there is no outright lie about Job here. There's no outright lie, and yet the implication of the information in this secret was rooted in deception. The implication of this is Job's a sinner, for example, you know, the, the Spirit never actually accuses Job of living in sin, and yet this messenger poses these opening questions, can a mortal be more righteous than God? Well, we know the answer to that question, no. No, a mortal can't be more righteous than God. The Spirit asks, can a man be more pure than his maker? Well, of course not. I mean, these are rhetorical questions that we, the obvious answer is no. But what's the implication of this? Well, that Job's a sinner. Well, we know that Job's a sinner, you know, we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God, but that's how this secret begins here with, well, we know that Job's a sinner, right, because no one can be, no, no one can be sinless like God, no one can be more pure than, 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 than our maker, and, and so let's just get this straight from the, from, the, you know, from the word go here, we know Job's a sinner, and so then the, the, the secret continues here and, and the Spirit points out that the, the Lord, well, he was quick to punish the fallen angels, right? If he puts no trust in his servants and if he charges his angels with error, so if, if God was quick to charge the fallen angels with error, then won't he then also charge Job with sin for, 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 for the errors of Job's ways? Well, yeah, of course. So then doesn't it make sense that this is all a punishment from the Lord? The implication of all of this is that Job is being punished for his iniquities. And he talks about how, how you know, God is going to punish those who dwell in houses of clay, whose foundation is the dust, who are crushed before a moth. Oh man, his kids were just crushed in a clay house. And this secret, you know, talebearer is is coming along and, and whispering this into Eliphaz's ear. And then Eliphaz turns around and speaks these words to Job. I, I imagine that his heart was crushed when he heard this. No doubt this was an evil spirit. Because listen, if this were an angel sent from the Lord, then he would have known that all of this was not a punishment of God. God was not punishing Job for sin, but rather he had allowed Satan to attack the life of Job because Job was actually living for the Lord. And an angel of the Lord would have known that. The angel of the Lord, any angel that came from from the Lord, would not have implied that Job was under punishment of God because he wasn't under punishment of God. Clearly, this was a spiritual attack of Satan designed to divide friends in Job's time of need. This messenger who came to Eliphaz in the middle of the night was an evil spirit sent by Satan. And, and there's no doubt that those, this was intended to turn friends against one another in the time when Job needed them the most. And in similar fashion, listen, the devil will send his demons to come and whisper deceptive ideas into our ears as they attempt to divide Christians. Uh, you know, we're, we're attending church together, we're worshiping the Lord together, we're serving side by side, and, and everything is hunky-dory. And the next thing you know, there's that, that visitor in the middle of the night whispering that idea into your mind about someone else, that all of a sudden now you got to go rebuke him because I think it was the Lord that told me this in the middle of the night about that person. And next thing you know, churches are starting to divide over gossip, secrets. These are the fiery darts that the enemy uses to separate the saints with so called secrets. And with that being the case, I encourage you to remember the warning that Paul presented in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. It's verses 14 and 15 where Paul declares, Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. Please trust me when I tell you that the devil and his demons have no problem masquerading as ministering spirits who are just here to help. Just here to set the record straight, just here to pose a few questions about that leader or about that pastor or about that person, just here to, you know, just ask a few questions about what's going on in their life to get you to start doubting and second guessing and dividing over non-essential things. Yeah, they have no problem engaging in these sinful schemes as they masquerade as ministers of righteousness when, in fact, they're just trying to divide churches. It's for this reason that we must learn to test the spirits according to the word of God. I like the way that Paul put it in Galatians chapter 1. It's verses 8 and 9 where he declares, even if we... Or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Christian, listen, if an angel of light shows up in your bedroom in the middle of the night to, to tell you someone's secret. If Mary shows up in your room in the middle of the night to tell you and go back to the Roman Catholic Church, it's not, it's not from God. If Moroni you know, comes to you in the middle of the night and blows his trumpet and tells you to go join the Mormon Church, no. That is not from the Lord. We need to test the message of any apparition, any spirit that comes along. We need to test what they're saying with the truth of God's word. And if the information that they're bringing fails to line up with the word of God, then you should simply call upon the Lord Jesus to rebuke the evil spirit. Typically here in America, the way they come in the middle of the night is it's your grandma. It's that dead relative that you miss so much. The next thing you know, There's grandma. Grandma answered the Ouija board phone, you know, or the spirit board, as some might call it. Yeah, these, these are not ministering spirits that we should listen to. These are fallen angels, demons, who want to deceive us and lead us astray. And with that, we need to learn to test the spirits according to the word of God, not according to how we feel. Please trust me when I tell you that evil spirits will come along and make you feel all kinds of wonderful. If you think that, you know, that the movies, you know, Hollywood is correct about the way they, you know, present, you know, demons and these sorts of things. And it's all scary and it's all, you know, boogity, boogity, boogity. And, and you know, you're going to run out of the building screaming. That, that is not the way the enemy operates, Normally, the enemy is going to come as a beautiful, ministering you know, angel, beautiful to behold, lovely feelings that, that follow, and lies on their tongue. And it's sad to say that in the last days, the church will fall into a state of apostasy as people follow after doctrines of demons. Therefore, if you want to be well-equipped and prepared for this battle, you have to know the word of God. You have to know the truth of God's word so that you can recognize when you're hearing a lie. As we begin to wrap up this study, I just want to take a moment to point out that Eliphaz was a man who I believe was truly trying to help his friend. I don't think that Eliphaz was trying to hurt his friend. I don't think that Eliphaz, you know, was consciously, uh, you know, thinking like I've been deceived by a demon and now I'm going to go and deceive Job. No, I, I think that he was sincerely trying to help his friend. Unfortunately, his counsel up until this point has been based on faulty assumptions and misapplications of the truth. And in similar fashion, there are times when well-meaning believers end up hurting the people that we care about, and, and the reason why is because we've quickly jumped to the wrong conclusions from the wrong assumptions, and as a result, we misapply the instructions of God's word. And, and so we need, we need to be careful with all of this. We need to be spirit-led, and, and not just led by emotions and feelings, So I encourage every Christian to remember that the wise believer is swift to hear and slow to speak. I like the way that King Solomon put it in Proverbs chapter 18. There he declares, "He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him." If you answer a matter, if you address something before you've actually heard it or 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 really listened to the situation, it's just folly and shame. Christian, listen, God has given us two ears and one mouth for a reason. And we would do well to listen twice as much as we talk. Therefore, before we rush to counsel those who are suffering in sorrow, let's take the time to prayerfully consider the situation. Let's look to the leading of the Lord and allow the Holy Spirit to use us so that Together, we can seek the wisdom of God's word as we walk by faith with our Savior Jesus. Let's pray.